0: Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for human factors, psychology, and design. We're recording
1: this live at evening, but I realized you could be listening to this whenever. So good morning, good afternoon, good evening, This is episode 251. Uh, Like I said, we're recording this live on July 14th, 2022. This is Human Factors Cast. I'm your host, Nick Rome. I'm joined today, as always, by Mr. Barry Kirby.
2: Hey there, I hope
1: you're well. There he is. Oh, shoot, are we delayed? Uh, We got a great show for you all tonight. We're going to be talking about how New York State is giving out robot companions to the elderly. We're also going to be answering some questions from the community about advice on working with a solution-oriented rather than needs-oriented product team what to expect at an entry-level human factors job interview, and we'll talk about uh, the acceptable number of projects to work on at any given point. But first, I want to know what's going on over at 1202.
2: Barry? Yes. Um, as I mentioned last week, we've had a um, – the current episode that is now live is really based on that link between academia and the rail industry with an interview with David Golightly. He's a lecturer at Newcastle University and, um, and works in the field of cognitive ergonomics. We talked about the projects he's been involved with across the rail industry, and what has been really good is that the strong emphasis not only on passenger experience, um, as we kind of expect, but actually the complexity of the rail industry, including freight and um, what they do in rail yards and things, is such a key factor to understand from a human perspective. So that was really, really interesting. Coming up next week, next Monday, is a discussion with the Royal Air Force Safety Centre, which is talking about the application of just culture, which is something I've talked about before on the podcast, but this is really interesting looking at it from that military perspective. So it'll be taking around that that idea of just culture, what it means in the military context, and really what the benefits are for an organisation looking at just culture. So yeah, it's been an interesting few weeks. I've actually got interviews coming out of my ears, and and I can't wait to get some of this content out. Awesome. I'm,
1: I'm so looking forward to it. Uh, but I think we all know why everyone's here. They're here for the news, right? So let's do it. That's right. It's Human Factors News. Uh, this is the part all about
3: exactly that. Human Factors News. Barry, what is the story this week? So the story this week is where New York State is giving out hundreds of robots as companions for the
2: elderly. And... This is around an estimated 14 million Americans and over two million people in the UK over the age of 65 currently live alone, and this fig- figure is projected to increase over the next decade as the Boomer generation ages. Studies have suge- suggested that long-term loneliness is as damaging to an individual's health as smoking. To help alleviate the issue, the New York State, uh, sorry, the New York State Office for Aging, NYSOFA. Uh, Will distribute LEQ units from uh, inci- um, institution robotics to the homes of more than 800 older adults. The robots are not able to help with physical tasks, but function more as a proactive version of digital assistants like Siri or Alexa, engaging users in small talk, helping contact loved ones, and keeping track of health goals like exercise and medication. Some studies suggest social robots do a appear to have the potential to improve the well-being of older adults. But critics warn that machines have the potential to dehumanize their users, and their deployment reflects a low-value society places on older adults. In In New York State, a new experiment is just beginning. So, Nick, what are your thoughts on your lone companion
3: when you are older, being a, well, older, being a slightly cleverer smart speaker? Oh, yeah. You okay over there, Barry? Because it sounds like you maybe didn't write that blurb today.
1: Uh, I'm I'm okay. I'm okay. I I think in theory, I like the idea of using human robot interaction to assist those that are lonely, right? Uh, especially in some of these vulnerable populations like the elderly. Realistically, I I kind of I don't necessarily agree with the critics on their sort of assessment here about dehumanizing their users. But I do wonder realistically whether or not that this generation specifically of elderly folks who didn't really necessarily come of age with these types of technological advances or anything like that uh will will really adopt this willingly in mass right like is is this going to be something that um is is foreign you're inviting this thing into the home and it, it's especially scary I know for some older folks and so it's it just to me it, there's a lot of things that we got to work through. But again, all this stuff is specific to this this current generation and maybe upcoming. But beyond that, I think we're good,
3: right? Uh, and so I don't know. Those are my initial thoughts. Barry, what, what are you thinking? So I've got kind of almost three three aspects of this. Firstly, truly, what is
2: loneliness? When you look at it and turn around and say, are you just one, is it, do you, is, is the loneliness part of you? So you just feeling that you can talk to somebody and, and all that type of stuff, and therefore you have an interaction. And so the that loneliness aspect is within you. Or does it have to have two people there to make it, to to dispel it? So if we can prove, and I don't know if there's been much, much research into this side of things. I think it's quite interesting. So you can actually, you know, if it can be done, if it's just the fact that you're talking to some, to some thing and get that reaction, brilliant, then that works. I think the point you make around... Um, you know, will the current generations do this? I think we've spoken before around the idea of digital natives, digital immigrants, and that type of thing. This is definitely a digital native solution. So those people who are growing up now, with the using chatbots, using um, the internet in the way that they are now, um, using them in in a you know a second nature approach, it will almost seem like the you know the, the right approach to do. We've we've seen this time and time again in using simulation for training, using smart uh, games, things like that. Where the digital natives come out, it, it is a it is something um, that will just become second nature. So fundamentally, taking them two things together, it probably is a long term solution. But are we? It goes back to that the question I sort of said at the beginning is that is loneliness a does does loneliness the cure for loneliness require two people to solve it, or does it is it just the fact that that resides within you and you talking to something getting a bit of feedback for you to react to you then don't think that then that cures loneliness um i don't know my jury's still out at the moment i don't i think it will it will it's it's kind of solving the symptom but not doing the cure thing
1: um yeah yeah, yeah. maybe we'll get Hadaway to write a song about what is loneliness um you know maybe that's that's talk. a that's <laughs> a deep cut maybe don't talk yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So look, like there's a there's a lot of ways in which we can cut this uh story. I want to talk I think about the thread that you just introduced, right? The social aspect of loneliness and what that actually means. And really what we're talking about here is communication between a human and a robot. This is human robot interaction and really uh this this is from the article here, uh, Intuition Robotics. They claim that this i Q I I'm I'm not sure if I'm saying that right way like right, right it's E L L I Q is how you spell this robot's name I think, I think that's right L Q uh they say it can project empathy and form bonds with users that's a pretty strong claim uh and to support that claim they they you know come up with a couple other things the robot's supposed to remember key details about a user's life And shape its character to their own. It'll crack more jokes if the user tends to laugh a lot, for example. Um, And what if if they need to laugh more, right? Does it it crack jokes to make them laugh? Or is it because they're laughing that, anyway, it might just be a phrasing issue. Uh, And then media reports suggest that the robot can certainly endear itself to people. Um, It's been in development for many, many years. uh, And there's dozens of home trials that have been done um, to test the functionality and hone it in. Um, Like you said, though, Barry, the real test will be sort of when this is wide scale, uh, we're talking 800 plus homes in New York. Mm -hmm. So thinking about the issues with human robot interaction, how that relates to loneliness, there's definitely a, um, the question of, yes, is this going to be sufficient enough to replace social interaction with another human being? I certainly don't think so at this point, but, um, you know, in the future, probably maybe we'll see, especially as conversations with AI and chatbots get more and more advanced. The one thing that I do want to bring up that I think we might have overlooked is will this allow for further social connection with peers that are also not digital natives? Um, do they have robots too in this hundred group? Uh, and, and will this help them connect to other humans by introducing a common group of like robot owners? Um, I'm just imagining the Facebook comments on that group, uh, the, the truly wild. But that's kind of my thought is, is maybe there's another way to approach this, that you sort of build a community around having this strange thing in your home.
3: Um, And that could be one way for socialization. So that's interesting, isn't it? So, I guess we do have that at the moment because your your smart speaker,
2: if you give it the right sort of access and privileges and stuff and stuff like that, then you can not only talk between speakers within the home, but you can also connect it to you know friends, family, whatever their speakers, and you can drop in or call their speakers. So I guess that's a, that's a similar approach. Um, we've only done that with one person on our smart speaker system, and that's um, that's my, that's my in-laws. And I've tried everything I can to stop them from doing it, um, but the, you know, you saw, I guess, yeah, you're right that you'll create that you'll create that social group, but this this organization social element links really nicely with two other episodes that we've done previously. Um, firstly, you know, the last episode around um, the sen- sentient AI with Google, and whether the whether you mm-hmm. think that that AI is sentient or not, or it's just Really good. It's got loads of phrases in order to be able to make you think having the conversation, and also one we did um, a while ago around the having the girlfriend, um, the AI as a girlfriend or a partner um, type of thing on, on your phone, which is something we um, we had a look at as well. And I think <laughs> Barry was, beta
3: tested it. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I think I think we both did, if I, if I recall correctly. Look, uh, I was yelling at her on the show. I mean, come on. on the <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um okay. my, I'm still talking to her, still talking to mine. She, she oh, she's okay. very happy. Um,
2: <laughs> that's not that's <laughs> not true. Um but the um no, she's not happy at all. Anyway, the um the, the point with this is that just because you I mean again you are getting them sort of interactions, yes, it makes you laugh and things like that, but you're not having a you're not having a true conversation. Um, you know, it, whilst it you can get empathy for that type of thing. And we've seen, you know. With apps and stuff, you can get that level of empathy. I mean, that that bloke tried to um, get engaged, all, all that sort of stuff. You've seen people in um, other countries marry robots and and things like that. Great, so you do get that level of empathy, and maybe that says more about us as humans about what we can, how we reflect that empathy and that type of thing. Um, but I still don't know, and it, it, I think the interesting bit here from a human factor is bit is how do we measure that? What tests? What um, trials do we run with that um, cohort, that audience of of sixty five and above? Because actually, the other thing that I guess in organisation social, I'm smacking my mic with a with a pen there, um, is the this isn't. Whilst we've focused here on on the elderly generation, there's also that um, those people who are who are housebound who are under that age group for whatever reason. Um, you know, it could be physical disability. They could be just living on their own for whatever. But also mental health reasons. People who don't want to go outside because oh, the outside world's scary and, and you know, they want to stay inside in their, in, in their own bubble. They're, you know, more reclusive tendencies or anxiety, uh, claustrophobia. Um, no, agoraphobia, wouldn't it? Um, you know, them sort of things. So a lot younger but actually don't want to go outside for other reasons, you know. Um, how do we work with them to actually get true measures about whether this is actually doing some good stuff or not and, and i do, I honestly don't know the answer to that um but I think there's, I think there's some there's some cool bits to to look at um, Do you mind terribly if I, if I bounce over to um, the human practice engineering bit because I think the, engineer, the actual engineering side of things this is either really interesting or really disappointing, depending on which way you look at it. <laughs> Let's do it. yeah, go. So obviously the the if we talk through the design of this thing, so we we sort of alluded to the fact it's it's almost it's it's an enhanced smart speaker, and if you go and look at the article, it's 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 got a photo of it, and the link link to the article is, is in the uh, is in the show notes. Um, but effectively, it's, it's it consists of two bits. The first, it's got a lamp-like face on it, and that's got the microphone and the speakers, that, and that lights up and swivels uh, to to. to um, engage with who it's talking to now i think it's that bit that allows it to be called a robot because it's got that articulating bit i've got a problem with whether it truly could be defined as a robot or not mm-hmm. They've a touchscreen tablet beside it and that allows you to display you know photos that's where you do your um the 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 calling um the, like video calls and apparently the from the article it says the unit has been deliberately designed to appear more robotic than humanoid in order to better focus attention on the conversational abilities, and yeah, I just kind of think with this that I've a and maybe I, I'm just getting hung up on, on technicalities here, but I don't think that's a robot. Um, I think a robot has to do a bit more than that. It is a glorified smart speaker um, with with a with a tablet beside it, um, but fine. You know, you, we we're jumping on on certain bandwagons here. I think. You know, it, it's still performing the tasks that that it it's going to perform. Um, but is is that enough? Is it just so big and cumbersome? Because it it's not just them two bits. It seems to sit in a triangular base, which if you're elderly and and um, you know you maybe maybe got um, hand grip problems, things like that, um, to be able to engage with the tablet, uh, the touchscreen tablet, and things like that. Has it got everything there? It just doesn't. It feels like they've taken a smart speaker and a tablet, smashed them together onto a a base and said, oh, look, we've got
3: a new system. It doesn't feel like it's been engineered for the target audience. Um, No, they're taking something that exists and they're throwing it into the homes
1: as a trial. Right. And I mean, you know, ultimately down the line, yes, we can we can see how this will impact if we were to make adjustments that were designed specifically for that population specifically Mm -hmm. with their needs tailored. um, Yeah, absolutely. I I completely agree with that. Whether or not it's a robot, uh, I'm not going to get lost in that technicality. We're still talking about issues that impact an aging population with technology and uh, some sort of intervention. Right. And so I'm not too worried about what we're calling the thing. (laughs) I mean, yeah, it's not a robot, but let's, you know, very relax. It's just a robot. <laughs> see, I did a
3: callback to the title. That's <laughs> like we did. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that, that's good. That. Um, but then, so
2: yeah, I think there's, as you say, this is a trial, so we will hopefully get feedback from that trial and see, but again, it would be really good to get into the nuts and bolts of that trial of how are they getting the feedback from, from the participants and what measures are they using? What, tools and techniques that, this is probably one of the first stories in quite a while that I've wanted to almost get in touch with them and say, right, this sounds really, really interesting, really keen to, to, I just want to know more. I want to know about more about how you're actually doing it. Or you're just going to put them in and, and say, well, We we've given you this free, this free robot. Do you like it? Uh, which would be disappointing if they, if they did just that. If um, only
3: you hosted a podcast where you interviewed people, I mean, that would really solve the problem yeah maybe we should think about that and and think and about think, th- think where that's a good idea for, for me to
2: for me to launch my own thing <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um but i guess that there's a couple of other concerns i've got with this as well it, in it kind of falls more under the under the safety and health bit um so this is this exists it, it's it's a mix between the, the engineering and the actual application so it exists to to engage right um and Brilliant, but it's also there with that with that with the target audience it's aimed at. It's there to presumably alert if something goes wrong. So if the person falls or maybe has an issue or something like that, um, it would use its its capabilities to realise that there's something that there's something happening. There's something something there. Which is brilliant, you know. That is something that is really common in, uh, particularly in sheltered housing, monitored housing, assisted living. Um, that would be that would be fantastic, and to do that. But what happens if it doesn't? Uh, what happens if we get into a situation where um, somebody has a fall, it doesn't recognise it, uh, doesn't recognise that falls happened? They're laid there for ages. People think that oh, they've got the robot in the home. Uh, they're perfectly safe. They're brilliant. We don't need to worry about it. Um, is a lapse like that acceptable. And the analogy here is actually what we're seeing now with uh particularly Tesla cars and Tesla using their um their their fully autonomous systems. People are calling out the odd one or two instances where it's not working compared to what we've got at the moment. Um and it'll be interesting to see the how it would affect adoption if, you know, if you have one one thing that suddenly makes the press of, oh we we put a robot in a home and it didn't recognise that um you know my grandma fell over and and she she became ill because of it or or whatever,
3: um, how that affects technology adoption. So that that uh, I guess that's a bit of a social issue as well. Yeah, uh, okay. what do you think? Nick? I want to riff on adoption because there's a
1: couple things that I want to bring up. One, I've been critical, rightfully so, of of <laughs> whether or not uh, elderly folk would adopt a technology like this. Now, I do want to say that uh, this study does kind of compensate for that in some ways um, and and we could talk about that but then there's a wider issue of how do you get this technology adopted widespread so let's let's talk about what's actually going on here what the criteria for selection in this experiment is right so there's obviously a bunch of logistics with delivery setup and training and we could talk about training for how to set up the use and and how to use the robots that's a whole separate Human factors issue, um, but basically, you know the the case managers will identify identify uh, individuals who might benefit from LQ based on a few criteria, and those criteria are this: uh, it's designed for people who are aged seventy five and older, who mm-hmm. have access to Wi Fi, and are comfortable with tech equipment, and who are isolated and lonely. So those are the criteria. Although I do want to know more about what that criteria for comfortable with tech equipment is because do they mean like a TV or do they mean like you know wearables or do they mean so there's um you know what examples do they provide in that you know selection criteria that would allow for um an aging population to self select into something like this right so that's that's sort of i want to mention that they are trying to i guess uh account for that yeah. Um, once individuals kind of have been identified of being a target group, then they'll kind of work with them to provide installation and training. I would love to know more about that process as well. What does it actually look like to go to the homes of these 800 individuals? Are you doing it individually? Are you as a researcher doing this individually or are you sending out a group that has, you know, some sort of training to train the people, uh, training for the trainers? Um, also, what does the physical space look like? is going to be different for every single person that they go to. You might have some that are in similar units, mm-hmm. but that introduces the question for me of like the ergonomic perspective. Where do you place it physically in this environment that is going to be best for this person? Is, are they, are these people that are putting it into the homes, these case managers and, and whoever else presumably is going out, are they trained in a way to look for the ideal location within Uh, Their environment that is going to have the optimal effect. And how do you control for that in an experiment? You can't really reason I know this is because I've actually done something very similar, gone out to people's homes and installed a technology device that measured out uh, electricity consumption and compared it with your neighbors. I've done this process. I know what this is like. It's a huge logistical nightmare because you have to schedule with 800 people. And then you have to look at, you know, where, you know, so we accounted for it was in the kitchen on a countertop. That was where we put it. Um, and so there's a lot of things going on with that, that I just have questions about. And I want to know more. You're right, Barry. This is like a huge question. <laughs> it's like, uh, I'm really interested, right? Um, uh, anyway, that's, that's a couple of points that I wanted to make with the adoption. The last point is that, you know, if if you do have those, uh, let's say this is successful and you expand it out to others in that demographic who are historically uh, or stereotypically, I should say, um, less than savvy with technology, how can we approach adoption? And it, it might be in the form of making this robot a different form. You know, it's they, they mentioned that they took care to make sure that this device was designed to look like a robot and not like a human mm-hmm. for the impact of being able to have a conversation with it. But, you know, there's these, there, there's these robot dogs that are out there that are toys. What if you like, I don't know, old people love dogs, right? So <laughs> why don't you give them a, a robot dog that does all the same things? And, and maybe that would give them that would solve their loneliness or, um, or, now I'm even thinking this is not even in the notes, but like, what if you, what if you gave them a, a robot dog that, I don't know, behaved, acted, um, and was as faithful as a, a regular dog or animal, whatever. It doesn't have to be a dog, a cat, a, you know, snake. I don't know, as mm-hmm. to their preference, but then maybe that's all they need if they don't, you know, another living being's life isn't on the line if something happens to them or um, they forget to feed them or something along those lines. You get the companionship of an animal without the like, I guess, um, responsibility of of needing to take care of a real animal. You just plug it in, or if it gets low, it goes and moseys over to the charger and does it itself. Um, so anyway, I, I don't know. That's just a couple points on adoption that
2: I wanted to make. Uh, Barry. I don't think- I think that's all fair. I mean, the I guess the other bit, and it alludes back to stuff we've we have talked about in the past, but this is um, a different context. Is what is your relationship between, with the device? In that um, there's been studies done around you know the smart speakers and stuff, and basically it's a subservient relationship. You're asking questions, you're making demands, you're 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 tasking it, and things like that. Can you have a, a relationship that will cure loneliness? So that's the primary function is to is to provide companionship. Can you have a companionship relationship with a subservient device? So if this device is there and it's it's, you know, it'll help with with some tasks, some some basic tasks, some you know monitoring and things like that. Presumably you would still, and again we, yes we we might have to drop these people an email I think, because there's a you know. Is, is is it you know, is it is it a bit like a smart speaker where it's keyword driven. Um, you know, hi LEQ, um how um how are you feeling today? You start having them conversations, um, and then LEQs come back saying, um, hi Barry, it's time for you to take your blood pressure medication. Um, how are you feeling today? You know, is it that sort of um transactional relationship? Um, or can it you know, is, is there scope there? I mean, I can see a whole lot of um, potential uh, bounce through with this of uh, well the two applications, you know one as it gets more intelligent as we as it gets more AI potentially as it gets more sensors it could it could um, understand the the health situation of the um, the person it's with and then you know if it sees a deviation in um you know heart rate or something you know some measure that it's that it's it's doing it, it could actually then check in and say actually are you feeling okay? Do we need to call a doctor? Um and have that sort of transact, transactional route. The other bit, which again is not in the not in the notes, because we're we're all freestyling free tonight, um, was if you had this in a care home and you had one in, in everybody's room, could it track patients who are um, residents who go from room to room? Um, you know, maybe and and actually see um identify the differences between them in order to be able to track a whole bunch of residents through that way I'd, I'd, it might be a stretch but it's um would be an interesting um take on that um and again it's it's interesting that both kind of both of us have done, done it to a certain extent we've we've kind of immediately almost moved away from just the loneliness aspect to the value add to the
3: health monitoring to to all that sort of stuff when again mm-hmm. you go back to the, the primary use for this is to cure loneliness well, I mean, it's for good reason, Barry. I mean, we, we, we
1: veer away from just loneliness because there's, I guess, a bunch of other issues with aging, right? So you have, like, I don't know, there's, there's studies that suggest that uh, 20% of people age 55 years or older would experience some sort of mental health issue, right? Um, mm-hmm. Most commonly, it'd be things like anxiety, uh, severe cognitive impairment, uh, mood disorders, like depression, bipolar. But then loneliness is also part of that, I guess, uh, cocktail of <laughs> of um, aging issues or, you know, I, I I hate to call them issues, but they're concerns, right? Or, or they're areas of, um, we can solve this or we can work on this. And I, I want to go back to kind of a point that you were making about us- using AI to kind of make decisions around the health. I think this would have like huge healthcare applications when this would help with some of those conditions that we talked about just now, right? Um, Especially as it could understand what symptoms of each of those conditions might look like if it's monitoring. It could also proactively uh, call for intervention if it senses something is going to happen, like call an ambulance when... um, you know, as soon as you see him fall down the stairs, like don't even wait for him to get up because you know it's not going to be great. Uh, and so, so there's like other things that those can do from a healthcare perspective that's going to be really impactful um, for quality of life in you know in in the aging population. And so, the the last kind of point um, as you talk about AI. Do these you, you know would these help with decision making tasks or are they mostly meant for memory aids? And this is kind of um, along the same points that you were driving with. Uh, are you okay? You know that's that's kind of the decision making aspect where maybe uh, an artificially intelligent system built into these robots could potentially ask about, uh, hey <clears throat> hey, I've noticed it's been a while since you had a bottle of water. Are you thirsty? You know and like help with that passive care. Those subtle nudges. Uh, you could also ask it. Uh, would, would it be able to help assist in those decision-making tasks? Like, um, I don't know. Like, I need help deciding what to watch. I don't. I don't know. That's a very simple example, but you know, would it be able to provide those types of things, or is it just meant for memory aids? Like, did I take my medication today, or uh, when was the last time I called my grandson, or you know, those types of questions? So. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's that's kind of um, a couple extra
3: points that I wanted to bring up. Uh, you got anything else? Yeah, I guess one one last point to fin- finish out from my side. I think is the
2: this is a Western problem. So this is a cultural Western problem around, and it says it in the you know in in the sub in the um, in the sub headline on it. You know, a, a new way to address the West's loneliness, loneliness ec- epidemic, and it there you know with, with cultural work i've done in the past there is a big difference in the way that um the eastern culture middle eastern culture um engages with the elderly part of their community which is very different to what how we deal with it in the west um and maybe we we're reaching for a technological solution when there is actually a soci- sociological solution there that um that could actually solve this we just we just don't want to want to address that um so, yeah, I, I just think it's interesting that we're solving a problem that is a cultural problem, um, not, ju- not just a, um, an aging problem.
1: Patch it with technology; it'll be fine. Well, <laughs> thanks to our patrons this week for selecting our topic, and thank you to our friends over at The Verge for our news story this week. If you want to follow along, we do post the links to the original articles on our weekly roundups in our blog. You can also join us on Discord for more discussion on these stories. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back to see what's going on in the human factors community right after
0: this. Human Factors Cast brings you the best in human factors news, interviews, conference coverage, and overall fun conversations into each and every episode we produce but we can't do it without you the human factors cast network is 100 percent listener supported all the funds that go into running the show come from our listeners our patrons are our priority and we want to ensure we're giving back to you for supporting us
1: Yes, huge thank you as always to our patrons. We especially want to thank our honorary Human Factors Cast staff patron, Michelle Tripp. Patrons, like you, keep the show running. Like I mentioned before we went to the break, our patrons do choose the news. Uh, We do post a public poll where everyone can put in their two cents about what they want to hear about on the show. But I do want to call special attention to our patrons because they get a little bit more of the vote share. Um, In fact, the exact split is 80-20. So public gets about 20% of the vote share. Our patrons do the most of the deciding the news stories so uh, if you are financially able and want to support the show uh, that does support uh you know not just it doesn't go to my pocketbook it doesn't go to Barry uh, it actually goes to our entire lab uh, and and you know we use it to pay for the tools that we use so like if you're watching us live this whole nice setup this is uh this is because of patrons um so anyway I just want to bring that up I think it's time that we get into
0: It Came From
1: It Came From Man, That one was good. Let's switch gears get to where It Came From. This is the part of the show where we search all over the internet to bring you topics the community is talking about. If you find any of these answers useful, give us a like wherever you're watching or listening to help other people find this content. We have three tonight. The first one up here is by Responsible Fruit One. On uh, the UX research subreddit, they ask about advice on working with a solution-oriented rather than a needs-oriented product team. Go on to right, I'm i re- I'm a research team of one and currently working with a large product team that's focused on features and solutions rather than the customer needs we're trying to solve for. Research gets looped in after the product team has already begun developing the solution. Uh, one of the asks I received recently was, "We're building this new capability now. We need to find some users." use cases this can solve for. Trying to orient the product and design teams towards a more user problem centric approach by collecting some of our questions and assumptions around the problem space, but it's been challenging to really hone in and narrow down scope. Uh, I'm not sure how much of this is culture in my team or my own gaps in skill and approach. I'm probably a combination of the two, but I'm hoping to find a way to navigate this better with limited resources I have. Has anyone experienced a team structure like this? Or have any advice on how to better navigate and align teams? Are researchers usually tasked with breaking down silos and constantly facilitating conversations between teams? I'm exhausted. Hey, exhausted,
2: I am too. Barry, is this common? Oh, welcome to my world on a day day by day to day basis. Yeah, um, this this is the job. I'm afraid. Um, well, it's not the entire job. I think if you're in more in uh, I would say this is more human factor stuff and um if you're gonna di- I don't like differentiating between human factors and UX type things, but this is a t- this is typical work for a, a human factors practitioner. Um in fact I think it's where we have the massive amounts of value, if I'm honest. Um firstly doing certainly working in large Engineering projects, I don't think this is just common to defense. I think it, it is across the board where you get large groups of people who are coming along with, right, we've, we've got a solution, we just need to find the problem. Um, and and driving that, that sort of stuff going forward. Generally, how do you do it better? Um, I think, to be honest, from the way you're describing it, you're, you're doing a good job. I think that's the sort of stuff that we get up to particularly that bit of down um, breaking down the silos um, that is if we get that bit right that is absolutely where we provide value because we are that um, that really one discipline as a, I guess alongside project management but you know people hate us less than project managers um, the you know where you where you can go and you've got legitimate reason and excuse to go and talk to every part of the bit every part of the project and then go oh, have you spoken to you know mary in engineering have you spoken to bob in design um and bring them connections together it's exhausting but is massively rewarding as well so um yeah welcome to the day job (laughs) well yeah welcome to the team welcome to the (laughs) team
1: i mean like seriously that is that is the job uh and it can be exhausting and this is uh, I guess not a word of caution but Something to be aware of if you are considering going into this field is that you are constantly at an uphill battle of trying to bridge these gaps and trying to communicate with various teams because it's not just one thing that makes a product go. You have to, you know, talk with your product managers that sort of the uh, determine the requirements for something. You have to talk to um, the users that obviously will drive, that that will have needs and wants and uh, frustrations with whatever it is that you're trying to do, whether that's a product, process, procedure. Um, it doesn't matter. Th- there's going to be um, user needs. There's going to be engineering needs. There's going to be requirements. There's going to be business goals. There's going to be um, constraints from all those perspectives as well. So you're going to have engineering constraints. You're going to have uh, design constraints. You're going to have um time constraints is another big one. And so when you have all this going on, to loop it back to the the question here, we have all this going on that often creates a scenario where, I guess, human factors is being applied more uh, reactive to the state of things going and less proactivity with trying to get ahead of some of those issues in the future. And I've always thought my job as a researcher a uh, human factors practitioner has always been to try my best to get ahead of the that curve get everybody else on board and say hey look this is where the train's going can we like you know i guess train is not necessarily a great analogy for this because it's on rails this is where the boat's going can we you know shift 5 degrees to the left so we don't you know hit hit those rocks so really that's that's kind of um what i'm trying to do in my role is let's get as far to the left of this as we can. So that way we can better plan in the future. And that transition is slow and that transition is difficult, especially if you need buy-in from others, but communication key. Anyway, that's (laughs) my two cents. Anything else on that one, Barry?
2: Yeah, I guess both of us were giggling. I guess to a certain extent about the way that this uh, this problem evolved. I think it's important to point out. I wasn't giggling at you. I think it's more the point that we've we recognise this situation so dramatically for what it is. We spend a lot of time as human factors practitioners firefighting when we know that the that the way you've described the problem is the way we would love to solve the problem. Um, if we if, if it was bought in right at the beginning, done done the way that we would like to see it done. Yes, you get that more user centric um, problem solving. But we know in reality that actually we do end up doing exactly what you describe, and we end up firefighting uh, to solve the problem. So we're all there. We're all
3: rooting for you, and, and come back and find us if you need some more advice on how to move on. Yeah, I mean, I will say some places get close. So mm-hmm. just, I just, just keep them, yeah. at it.
1: Keep at it. All right, this next one here is from the Human Factor subreddit. Love it when we get ones from there. This is by Ultimate Cookie Wizard. Love the username too. We uh, they go to write. What should I expect from an entry-level human factors job interview? Hi, y'all. I have an interview coming up. The human, uh, the company mainly works on transport. What should I prepare for? So usually a technical test or interview in the process. Should I study up? Thanks. Barry, you conduct interviews with entry-level folks. Uh, how would you recommend somebody prepare for one of these?
3: Um. It depends. Well, okay, so okay, yeah, you hit the button.
2: I'll bring I'll bring that in. Um, firstly, I mean you've already highlighted that the company has as a specific area of interest. So in, in this case, transport. But it's a no matter what sort of interview you've gone into, if you if you've gone into a company that has a specific area, have a at least a basic understanding of of the of that study area of that um, focus area, and the issue, particularly the human factors issues around it. You're going for a human factors job. Um, that means that you that shows that you've done a bit of research into the field if it's not something that isn't or isn't already in your um, in your arsenal. Um, also do a little bit of work, a uh, bit of research around the company itself. So what what is their impact into into this domain? Do, are they um, suppliers of big freight on trains or are they, you know, are, or are they co- um, contractors or consultants? the the it work, work in the area so understanding the um the influence that this company has within the domain in this case on, on transport um I wouldn't necessarily get too hung about going too deep into that but you need to have a bit of a I guess a working knowledge if they've got a human factors team then you know at least be aware of the size makeup of that team um or do you know because then you know kind of what you're getting into that's good for you um but then also just be prepared to talk about yourself and be talking. To, you know, talk about um, the the sort of things that you've done. If you're just coming straight out of um, out of um, college or um, university, then uh, you know we nobody can expect you to have the answers to all all the all the issues. What they will be interested in, um, what I'm interested in, is when I'm interviewing people, is your take on a problem. So you the might they quite conceivable they might turn around and say, "Oh, well, we've got this issue. Um, what are your thoughts on a solution?" Um, and you know things like that, and just be prepared to to talk through what you think. The, um, they they're probably interested in the way that not only what your answer is, but the way you approach it as well. Um, if they're any good, then they would actually give you a a structure about what they what they expect the interview to go like. So there might be you know the, the sh- they'll give you a bit of a heads up about one, two, or three people in the room, for example. Are they expecting you to do a presentation? If so, what's the, what's the presentation on? Um, and if they're not, they don't give you that. Don't be afraid to ask. Um, it's, it's, it, you know, you, you want, it isn't a test as such. It's a, um, it's a discussion about, and, and both, you both get to size each other up about whether you, the company's right for you and you're right for the company. Nick, what do you think? Um, what, how, how do you, um, um, interview people for entry-level jobs? I think it's really
1: sneaky that you ask people to solve your problems for you in the interview process. And I don't like that, Mr. Barry Kirby. I don't like that at all. I ask people to solve problems that are not related to the domain at all.
2: <laughs> I, I don't. So I don't. For me, I mean, my, th- my experience from that was I got asked to do that when I was going for a graduate engineer, graduate job. And I it was interesting that there was a panel of three people. And this one guy said and it was actually nothing. It wasn't a human factor job. Actually, it was um, um, an AI knowledge based um, systems job. And they turned around and said, oh, we're trying to do this. How would you solve the problem? And I was like, i uh, uh, well, I would take this approach and do this and you know, I was, what, 19, no, 21 at the time or something like that. Well, I would do this and sketch it. That's interesting. Can you put that on the board? Okay. And then it turns out that these two of the interviewers have been having a row prior to my thing about whether you should take an AI, AI approach or a knowledge-based systems approach to the solution. I'd go down to knowledge-based systems approach because I, I prefer knowledge-based systems at the time. And then, they're like, and so one guy was very smug. said, yes, that's what, I, that's what I would do as well and i and i didn't like that but i have seen it happen in other things it's not something we do uh, uh, i do i do ask questions but if they um we we i'll do that as my as there's as some about what we use as a random question Barry, i was you. giving you
1: a hard time i was give, i look like it's it's okay to ask those questions at like a surface level of like hey generally what would be your approach to this problem you know don't don't ask people to solve it anyway that's we're getting on the other side of things for the interviewer mm-hmm. what you can expect in an interview i think is is going to widely depend on There's the, it depends again. It's going to vary based on where you're applying to, what the position is. In this case, uh, I think all the points that Barry brought up are, are solid. I think, you know, do some research. I think that's a general good point of advice. Do some research, understanding what they do. You're not expected to be an expert or subject matter expert even for, you know, the domain. If you are, it helps in some ways, but maybe not others. Um, Barry and I've talked on the show many times about how we believe innovation is bringing things from other domains in. And so anyway, they're not going to expect you to know that. Your job is to ever learn in this position to understand the users. And so with that in mind, you know, so an interview can vary in structure and um, format but I think the things that remain consistent is yes, this is an opportunity to understand fit, and it is a two way street, and make sure that you remember that in in your role too. You are not they're not only evaluating you, and you're in a position of vulnerability here. If you don't have a job or don't have current employment, uh, it makes it a little bit more vulnerable for you to sort of evaluate them critically. But do um, understand what it would mean for you if you were to uh, you know, take a, take a job at that place, uh, that that's otherwise you're going to, you know, end up years down the line going, why did I do this? Um, so anyway, that's, that's my two cents. I, I don't really have much else to add to what Barry said. We got one more here. Um, this one's, uh, how many projects do you work on at any given point as a UX researcher or human factors engineer? This one's from the UX research subreddit by a uh, Cernus six. You say, hello fellow researchers. I'm curious how many concurrent projects you typically work on per month. One a month, two a month, three even. How many is typical for a 160-hour work week a month? Thanks.
3: Barry, how many projects do you work on a month? Um I don't I can count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I'm
2: on eight this month. Um four um six of them are external and two of them are internal. So and that's that's probably about average for me, but don't I'm not. I'm managing the, managing the managing them as well as working on them as well. I think for one of my team, they're probably one, two, three, f- three, four of them. I would say three, four a month is
3: probably out on um a good average for us. What about you, Nick? How, how many do you hit up?
1: I'm right there with you
3: with eight Barry. In fact, I think this month I had 10 uh, because I didn't even
1: consider the like self projects of like, you know, infrastructure. <laughs> I, yeah. I didn't even consider that. I was considering like user projects, right? So I have eight different threads going on. And I also have, uh, you know, a couple things internally that I'm working on for myself. Um, but again, you know, in a, in a lower role, uh, a more junior role, I should say, not lower, that is, that is derogatory, in a, in a more junior role, um, there, uh, I, I was working on maybe you know two to three, three to four, depending on the place. Mm-hmm. But then I've also worked on you know just one, and I focused all my time on that one thing. And those were nice, those were nice, those were really nice. My attention wasn't, it's it was really nice for someone with um uh you know uh, uh the ability to focus on something. Um, so. Anyway, that's my two cents. (laughs) It was really nice to focus on that thing, Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, Right now, ten ish, um, but eight user facing, Mm -hmm. and we talked about this in another answer the other week. Of these things are in various states, and so it's not like I'm doing the same thing for each of these projects. I'm not talking to you know, eighty different users in one week. I'm evaluating something on one thing, and I'm you know wrapping up something else in a brief on another part of it and I'm scheduling on another thing and then I'm interviewing on it so there's different parts and pieces that you could be working on uh, I would say comfortable is three to four
2: any other yeah. thoughts <laughs> I was going to say I just kind of them up and then the I guess the flip side I do as a as a manager and business leader obviously the is, is winning business as well and so I've just had a quick look and I've got six projects on the go that are business winning projects so they're not doing the UXE work that is trying to you still have to do a a level of analysis and stuff in order to be able to convincingly, um, you know, to to convince the person with the money that I'm the best person to give the money to, um, to, and be able to live the project, obviously. Um, so yeah, I think a lot of it is, um, I, I, I've done one job where I did one, you know, I, I was focused on one thing and I got bored, um, I think there's, I mean, when it started, there was a there was a lot to learn, high high ramp up all that sort of stuff. But I like having at least two projects on the go because when you start to get drained on one, you can bait and switch. Um, and you, I can really manage my um, my work really well that way. So I like I like I like juggling a, a, a few projects. Some people don't. Some people like having a single project and, and rolling on it. Um, and that I think that almost goes back to the question be, question before as well. It's um, you know, if you find a job that you really like in the way that they manage your work, that's 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 worth things. Um, mm-hmm. in yeah. terms of personal life and the, and the way that you live and mental health and things like that.
1: Very. Are we are we trying to like out project each other? Because I didn't even count, you know, everything that I do for the podcast, which I don't get paid for, by the way. That's that's all like volunteer work. Um, I oh, mean, I'm, you know? I'm, in touch, I'm in touch podcast Yeah. Oh yeah. Podcast? Okay. All right. No. 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 You probably win. All right. So. <laughs> <laughs> let's just stop there. Actually, you know what? I do a lot for Human Factors. Maybe maybe we should add them up. I don't know. We, we'll do <laughs> All right. Let's just get into this last part of the show. One more thing needs no introduction. Uh,
3: it's where we talk about one more thing. Barry, what is your one more thing this week? Well, mine is around, sort of the, we were just talking about it, in terms of mental health and things like that. And what I've
2: been late to the year in doing this year is, I I, and I sort of found it last year, sea swimming. Um, so wild swimming, open water swimming, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we are lucky. We live very close to the coast and there's a beautiful bit, um, down in a place called Burry Port where they've they got a nice little bit, that they have, and it was so nice. this afternoon. It's been really, really hot, um, really hot weather. And it was really nice to break out the office, and go, go down there and for little to no effort, you know, normally when you go to swim pool, you have to go and get changed, You have to find, uh, so you have to pay to get in. You have to find your cubicle. You have to go through all that stress of doing that this was. Uh you just rock up on the beach and straight into the water. And you know, spend I think we we're in there about maybe half an hour, three quarters of an hour. You don't have to spend that long because you don't feel like you um are having to to spend a defined period of uh, period of time in there. But it was just so nice and you're just out there and, and good fun. So yes, I'd thoroughly recommend it, um, assuming the water wherever you're um around, and but you can do rivers lakes anything like that if you're lucky enough to live somewhere near near some open water um and providing it's safe to do so i don't like no
3: crocodiles or anything
2: like that then um give it a go if you haven't tried it
3: you know i think something like 90 percent of the the
1: cities in the world are around water so there's probably Mm. something for somebody yeah um Look, Barry, I'm I'm still having a really hard time deciding which one of these I want to talk about, but I think I'm going to talk about Hot Wheels track. Um, cool. So <laughs> so I, for everyone's awareness, I have like four or five one more things written down that I'm trying to pick. Anyway, Hot Wheels track. So let me talk about Hot Wheels. Um, my son is at an age where he loves Hot Wheels. Hot Wheels Yay. are awesome. This is not sponsored by Hot Wheels in any way, shape or form. Uh, but... Um, With Hot Wheels, they have the fun, cool tracks that you can build and put together. And in a lot of cases, it's really boring because the fun pieces are expensive and hard to find, like uh, turns, right? And it's not like we've gotten him the play sets and the play sets are fine, but they frustrate him. He's still young enough to where he can't, you know do it reliably he needs our help and so that's frustrating for us and so we wanted something easy that we could set up and so i thought okay last weekend i went out and bought some like wooden planks and i got some 3d printed pieces to anchor the hot wheels track in just a way and i've 3d modeled a gate um that now has his role his name on it you know his name racing uh and it's alliteration and so um, anyway, it's, it's nice. And then there's um, I went out and bought another track that has multiple lanes on it so the cars can kind of pass each other. But the problem with that is that they don't they're compatible with the Hot Wheels track, but then they also it's hard to get them to, you know, come back together into one. And so I've been like trying to, you know, model some 3D prints to make it. And then the the, the track that the multi lane also comes with is like weird on the corners. And so I've modeled another 3D piece to um, basically link up those, those, uh, edges. So that way, you know, it's not going to catch the edge and spin out and frustrate my son. Anyway, I spent a lot of time 3d printing and modeling and working on hot wheels track over the last week. Um, and so I'm not going to have a lot to talk about at the lab meeting tomorrow. Uh, and, (laughs) but, but it's all in an effort to, you know, make this fun for my son and make it less frustrating for him in the long run. And there's just something about you know, seeing his face light up when I've come through with a new piece and he's like, Oh, where does that go? Right. Like, what are we doing with that? And, um, he doesn't quite understand that I'm the one that made those pieces yet and have put in that effort yet, but it's so rewarding just to see him like happy when something that was previously an issue, like catching on a sidewall is no longer an issue because of something that I thought up, I modeled Mm -hmm. and I've into reality it's just it is an amazing experience would highly recommend it for anyone um, anyway yeah that's that's it cool. all right well that's it for today everyone if you like this episode and enjoy some of the discussion about everything there's there's a couple episodes that barry mentioned but i'll bring out two more here uh if you like robots uh then maybe listen to how humanoid robots will improve your life if you want to hear more about aging then maybe uh, what cognitive abilities improve as we age. Those are episodes 217 and 218, respectively. Comment wherever you're listening on what you think of the story this week. For more in-depth discussion, you can always join our Discord community. Visit our official website. Sign up for our newsletter. Stay up to date with all the latest news. If you like what you hear, you want to support the show, there's a couple of things you can do. One, like I mentioned uh, earlier, five-star reviews really help the show. Um, Do that. That's free for you to do. Two, tell your friends about us. Word of mouth really helps us grow. And three, patrons choose the news, baby. If you have some (laughs) financial means, why don't you you help us choose some news stories? There's always links to all of our socials and our website are in the description of this episode. Barry Kirby, thank you for being on the show today. Where can our listeners go and find you if they want to talk about getting old?
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's definitely on my radar at the moment. So uh, feel free to come and talk to me about getting old on Twitter or across social media at Basm K. Um, if you want to hear me, come do some interviews, then I'm on 1202 Human Factors Podcast, which is 1202podcast.com.
1: Sorry, man. that was too good to pass up. As for me, i am your host, Nick Rome. You can find me on Discord and across social media at Nick underscore Rome. Thanks again for tuning in to Human Factors Cast. Until next
2: time. It depends. It depends.